0: The American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. So we begin with 2 Chronicles 32 verses 24 and 25. In those days Hezekiah became sick. To the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did nothing to return for the benefit he had received because his heart was proud. That's sort of a paraphrase of what we went through last week. Now let's go down to verse 27. Now Hezekiah had immense riches. And honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stone, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable articles. Also, storehouses to produ- for storehouses for the produce of the grain, the wine, the oil. Stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds for the flock. He made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance, because God had given him great wealth. Now we go to Isaiah 39, verses 1 and 2. And at that time, Merodach, if I got this right, Badadan, son of Bedadon, king of Babylon, sent letters via some ambassadors. We get that from 2 Chronicles. Okay, with a gift to Hezekiah, for he, that is the king of Babylon, had heard that he, Hezekiah, had been sick and recovered because he wanted, by the way, from 2 Chronicles 32, to inquire about these wonders that happened in the land. And Hezekiah was pleased. Second Kings 20, 13 through 19. And he, Hezekiah, showed them all of his treasure house, silver, The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasury. And that includes, by the way, his armory. There was nothing in his house nor on all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, "Um, What did these men say and from where do they come? And Hezekiah said they'd come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, that is Isaiah, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that my house, that is in my house, there is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, all that your fathers had laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your sons who shall shall issue from you, and realize that also means grandsons and great-grandsons, whom you will beget will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, it was not, it, he thought it was not so if there would be peace and truth in my days. Then we go back to 2 Chronicles 32 and 31, the last part of that. And God left him alone to test him that he might know all that was in his heart you may be seated i think i want to remind you that hezekiah's father ahaz did evil he did idolatry he actually did human sacrifice of hezekiah's brother all right and you can find that in second kings 16 he lost several wars against aram philistia and edom and it particularly says that edom took many people captive. And he pushed the kingdom of Judah to the brink of bankruptcy. He actually has to pillage the temple to pay off some of these people so they don't keep attacking him. And Hezekiah then at 25 becomes king in this situation, having lost all these battles to your enemies and about broke. But his heart is different than his father's. If you recall, he sparks a spiritual renewal in Israel by reviving those things which God had spoke to Israel about, in particular the priesthood, the tithe, temple worship, Passover, and the various festivals. Fourteen years into his reign, when he's about 39, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, invades well, Israel at first, okay, and then into Judah. In the midst of this is when Hezekiah becomes ill. Okay, it's about 701 BC. All right. And that's where we started today. We read, and Hezekiah was sick unto the point of the death, and he prayed to the Lord. The Lord gave him a sign. What was the sign? Yeah, the shadow moved backwards 10 steps. That's sort of important here because of what the king of Babylon. Anyway, but it says he did nothing in return. God did this thing, but he did nothing in response to God's, the sign, the healing, and the deliverance from the king of Assyria, okay? Even though he prayed and God had did these things, okay, he didn't respond back to God with how should he have, and we'll talk about that a little bit, okay? In those extra 15 years God gives him when he says he's gonna die and then comes to him and says, I'll give you 15 more years, he amasses a tremendous amount of wealth and has a son three years into this, matter of fact. So his son, Manasseh, come, becomes king when he's 12. All right. But he also gained something, Hezekiah, he didn't really expect or couldn't plan for anyway. God's sign, the deliverance of Jerusalem, and this miraculous healing made Hezekiah famous. Okay. So the king of Babylon, through this whole process, because of, of inner fighting and things that happened, because of the loss, remember Sennacherib? Here God has 180,000, sends an angel, and kills 180,000 of his men. When he goes back, his own sons plan and plot against him and kill him in the temple of their pagan god. There's all this civil war stuff going on in Assyria. Because of that, Babylon frees itself from uh, Syrian dominion. So they've got their own people back and so they want to be able to stay that way. King of Assyria hears several things. Hezekiah, Judah, has defeated Sennacherib, the Assyrians, who pretty much ran over everybody. He was miraculously healed from this disease and there was this amazing supernatural sign. He hears of these things, sends ambassadors, envoys, with a letter to Hezekiah. And it says in Isaiah 39, 2, that Hezekiah was pleased. In other words, he liked the prestige and the fame. Ooh, people are come. I mean, come on. Uh, when Sennacherib's attacking and all these cities are lost to the Assyrians and they're just going to come around Jerusalem, that's about all that's left. All right, And everything reverses course on you where it actually says that he built other cities and reinforced the walls and he did all this and gains this wealth. Um, he's feeling pretty good about himself. And these guys come and so he sort of gives them the grand tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah, that was an amazing victory, wasn't it? wasn't it? Yeah. Well, matter of fact, let me, let me show you the, arm, the armory his secret missile silos of their day, okay? His own armor, all of his wealth. He shows them everything. And Isaiah comes he goes, uh, excuse me, who were the guys? Uh, they, they're from a faraway place. You really don't have to worry. I mean, it's far away. It was Babylon. You don't have to worry about it. Okay? He doesn't say they're from Babylon. They're from a faraway place. And that would have something to do go all the way back to the time of Joshua when God says don't make a treaty with the nations around you. Okay, And the people pretended to be from a far away place. Do you remember that? So that wasn't around them. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, well, what did you show them? And he says, I showed them everything in my house and my riches. Wait a minute. Ooh, I, I read where God did that. OK, so you can see the problem, I think. In his answer, he exposes his heart. He took the glory that belonged to God and claimed it for his own. Let me go way back in the beginning. Don't worry, God, if you eat of the tree, you will be like God. Uh oh. Isn't that Lucifer's problem? The glory that belonged to God, he lusted after and wanted that. He thought he deserved that glory to be that. And God said, uh uh. And he takes that glory. And then it says this profound thing in 2 Chronicles 32, 31. God left him alone only to test him. Oh, God, please, I don't, I don't want you ever I don't want to hear that ever said about me. God pulled back, if I could say it like that. right? Now, God is omnipresent, so he really doesn't pull back in the sense of he's not there. His gracious hand He stops moving in that. And I use that language on purpose. Hezekiah had passed the test of adversity. Right? When he was outmanned, outnumbered, run to God. When you're sick and you're dying, run to God. But he failed the test of prosperity and fame. Let me put it another way. He trusted God when he had no other choice. When there aren't any other options, when you're surrounded and outnumbered, you got nothing to fight against them with, yeah, turn to God. When you've been got a disease that you can't do anything about, your doctors can't do anything about, yeah, turn to God. What other option do you have? But when I had choices, when he had choices and options, he took the credit for the outcome like those choices or what did it? See, it's easy to run to God, I'll say it like that, it's easy to run to God when there are no other options. When it's hard, when it's difficult, and there is nothing else. But there is this test that comes when you have a multitude of options. I'm going to be honest, in the United States, we have a multitude of options. You know, when, when, when I travel and we go to the place, you know, they don't have the, uh, the options of distractions. Distractions. Yeah, they have, a, they have a phone, but it works when they go to town. But when they're out in, in their village, uh, they, they can't even check Facebook. See what's on the news. They don't have a TV. We just have choices when it comes to distractions. We do. In America, we have, man, we have the options of churches. Well, I'll tell you, I'll take you to the village. There's one. That's your option. That one. Okay, so, so there isn't a McDonald's or a Burger King or whatever on every corner. I think one of the reasons that we are so lukewarm about the church and the Christian life in the United States because we have so many other options. Prosperity has gave us choices. This is what makes the seasons of prosperity and comfort so dangerous. When David was fighting, he was doing okay. But when he's got his borders established and he can send his generals out when it comes time for kings to go to war, but he's got it all, it's all handled, it's okay. I don't really have to worry about any of the big bad guys. I'll just send some guys out and I'm going to go up on the rooftop and relax. Solomon, when he starts to reign, I don't know if I can do this. I just need wisdom, God. And then you got wealth. okay. It's Israel. God himself says, hey, when you go into the land and you're living in these houses, you didn't even have to build because the people that were living in. And in in vineyards, you didn't plant. Don't forget me. He's telling them about a tendency that they're going to have. But I had two options today to take this the test of prosperity, and I could take it to you individually, but today I have chosen to take it in the context of the church at large. We let Hezekiah start thinking that material things all right, and comfort are a sign that we've done all the right things. They t- we take passages, and I say we as a big general sense, we take passages like Deuteronomy 28, where God gives the blessings and cursings to Israel. So verse 1 and 2, it tells you what the blessings are. If you diligently obey the word of the Lord, being careful to do all his commandments which he is commanding you, then all these blessings will come upon you and reach you if you obey the Lord your God, and it gives these lists of blessings. By the time you get down to verse 15, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow in His commandments, His statutes, that I am commanding you this day that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So here's what happens. What we think is because we've got these so-called blessings, we must be doing it right. Let me ask a question. Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. Who can claim that they have diligently obeyed all God commanded? You know what that means? Uh, Those blessings, I don't get. I'm going to be frank. If I'm on my ability to diligently obey all God's commands, if that determines the blessings, I am in trouble. And so are you. And God knew it. He knew that they couldn't do it. Matter of fact, they stand with Moses and say, yeah, we will. And God says, no, you won't. Okay? That tells you something about God's blessings, which we'll touch on in a moment. See, we, too many of us think if, if we, the obey side, I got 48 of those and 28 of the disobey ones, because I, these out, even though we don't believe we're saved by our own righteous works, we tend to think that God blesses us if our righteous works outweigh our bad ones. Man, there's a whole religious movement in Christianity, or so-called Christianity, that that's the message. Hmm, that is not the case. God's loving kindness towards us in all of its forms, is always a manifestation or due to God's grace. Why? Because no one can diligently keep all the commandments. That would somehow, we would think, make some kind of obligation on God to bless us. You need to read Job where he says, man, I owe him, nobody's paid me anything that I owe him anything. He even talks about your righteousness. Even your rights, one of your rights is I owe you nothing. But it's always simply the grace of God. Israel never once kept all the commandments God had gave them. But he still blesses them to this day. I don't keep all the commandments and there are probably days my ones might outbalance my positive ones. But I want to talk about this not now on a personal level but in the sense of the church level because the church consists of people. We hear, about well, the church isn't the building, it's the people. Well, this is your chance. Therefore, in times of prosperity, the church, i.e. people, become complacent and weak. The church, during times of prosperity, becomes complacent and weak. In times of prosperity and ease, comfort, the church is beset with false teachers, false converts, and immorality. That's why every revival or spiritual awakening in church history always has a call to holiness. But in times of persecution and trial, the church always expands. When the church gets this, in 50, you're going to die, king of Assyria is around you kind of thing, where does that leave us to go? Church in China, when they're tearing down buildings and ripping the crosses off and throwing you up in jail, where else are you going to run? To the church next door? You're going to have to run to God. And the church grows and expands in China. As Islam and the Communist Party on the two sides of Mindanao, as they run amok, I can tell you the tribal churches grew. (laughs) The more they do that, the more they grow. Therefore, in order to refine his church... To separate the sheep from the goats, the true from the false, the wheat from the tares, God sends hardship and trial—not what we Americans often think of as that hardship. Is a trial as trial is, they change the chairs in the church, and they're not as comfortable as they used to be. They turned the music up. They turned the music down. Faster preach longer. I just can't do it. I don't. Whatever. That's our idea of it. McDonald's has changed their menu. Do you know how long we have to wait in line now, a drive-thru? Because everybody's a drive-thru. It takes so long. That's the American thing. This is where I want to go to the parable that Jesus told of the sower and the soil. Now, the sower obviously is the Lord or the Holy Spirit. He tells us the seed is the word of God and the soil is people. This is in Mark chapter 4. And by the way, also in Mark here, Jesus says this to his disciples. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of my parables? Well, there's a key to unlocking the other parables in here somewhere. And we're not going to take taking all that apart today. So he goes along and tells this story, this parable of the sower casting seed. Okay, And the one that lands along the roadside, the birds come along and eat it. And he says, this is the interpret. Jesus himself interprets it for you so you don't have to. And immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown. Let me put it another way. Did God really say? I I just finished reading R.C. Sproul's book on the Trinity. And and one of the things he talks about in that is the word Trinity, people's objections, is the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. Okay, which is not a big deal, so are a bunch of other words we use that aren't there, but that's not the point. He talks about, if you remember when the uh, men of Gilead, uh, in Judges, there was some struggle going on between the tribes. And there was this, if I can even say it, what was it, Meshiboleth or something like that, I don't remember the word, but they knew that certain people from certain tribes couldn't pronounce the word, so that was their password. How do I know if you're really on? Because we all look alike. They're all Hebrews. How do I know if you're on my side? Can you say this key word? The same was true in World War II. Up in Holland, okay, even though there were Germans who could speak Dutch, they had, and I can't even say the word, there was this particular city that they couldn't quite get out. Now, I don't, I don't want to be perceived as racist, but there was a commercial on TV many, 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 many years ago when Mitsubishi first came to the United States. And some of you may remember this commercial. And it was people trying to learn Mitsubishi. And there was an Asian fellow, I'm assuming by their ad, put out by Mitsubishi, a Japanese company, all right? All right? And, they, and this is what, uh, how the ad sort of ended is the Japanese fellow saying, That's okay, I can't say Chebouret either. <laughs> no, I'm not being right. That was the commercial. I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just telling you what the commercial was. They played on the fact that they couldn't say that. And so when it comes to certain doctrines, by the way, there are certain tests I will give you. And that is, do you believe in the Trinity? But here's the big one: Do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Amen. Well, you. Well, well, uh, but well, I, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. But no errors. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. That's one of those test words for me. It's: Are you of the tribe of Gilead? Are you Dutch? Okay. The inerrancy of Scripture. One of the first things he talks about is where the word lands, and Satan comes along alongside. That ain't the word. He steals it immediately, it says. Immediately steals it. I'll guarantee you this. Take, tries it with you every Sunday. You'll hear a word. It'll pierce you a bit. You say, oh. I'm and then you walk out the door. And you run into a bunch of situations and say, ah, but that the word don't apply here. He still does that. all right. But in this particular case, all right, um, these things never take root. They never even start to grow, don't even start looking like the rest of what's planted. They're easy to spot because they're not there. It's not hard. Then there's this rocky soil. The Bible says it never took root, Jesus said, was temporary. When affliction and persecution occurs because of the word, not, not, not persecution and affliction, Persecution and affliction because of the word. The first thing they want to cave on is the inerrancy of Scripture. Well, you know that Bible has contradictions. Oh, you're right. Okay. Earth created in six days. Evolution. Oh, well, evolution's right. When the persecution and affliction come because of the word, okay, they immediately fall away. They die. There's something that starts to sprout, but really never comes to life. Again, that's easy to spot. If, if these poinsettias were real, they're not. One was dead and one was alive. It'd be pretty easy to tell, wouldn't it? But then there's this thorny soil. And it says this, that the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. How does wealth deceive? Maybe it suggests one of the things that makes you believe is you deserve the blessing. Anyway, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, the comfortable things. I have a recliner in my house that replaced my lazy boy and I hate it. I have a desire for other things. I wish I could have my old lazy boy back. It is one of those things, for me, that's comfort. You get in there, you just cuddle down in the thing, right? So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with comfort, but those worries and concerns about, will I keep those comfortable things? This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear This message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, P.O. Box 32, Nampa, Idaho, 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.